Welcome to A Big Heart, a podcast about living with heart disease. I'm Mike Papali, and I'm the president and founder of In a Heartbeat, a nonprofit organization with a mission to prevent death from sudden cardiac arrest. I witnessed sudden cardiac arrest at age 17 and have been living with heart disease for over a decade. This podcast will dissect the physical and emotional obstacles of living with heart disease and how to overcome them. I am inviting you to join me on my personal journey of living as a heart disease patient. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to help heart disease patients of all ages live a long and normal life. Welcome to the next episode of A Big Heart, a podcast about living with heart disease. A Big Heart is powered by In A Heartbeat. In A Heartbeat is a nonprofit organization with a mission to prevent death from sudden cardiac arrest. This is done by donating AEDs, providing CPR and AED training, raising money for research projects, providing support to patients, and offering free ECGs to children, teens, and young adults. To learn more about In A Heartbeat, visit www.inaheartbeat.org. All right, podcast listeners, welcome back to another episode of A Big Heart. We have another amazing guest this week that I'm really excited for you all to hear. Uh, her name is Hannah Keim, and she is a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient and also the co-founder of Heart Charged, uh, an amazing organization that you will hear more about. Uh, she founded it with her sister, Bethany. Both of them are patients, and in this episode, you are going to hear Hannah's inspirational and, and really amazing story. So I'm really excited about that. Um, she's been living with um, HCM now um, for, for about seven years, and she has some great insight on some different obstacles in her life that she's gone through, that she's continuing to go through, and, and kind of the things that she's battling every day. So um, before we get into the interview, I just want to tell a quick story about Hannah and how this interview uh, came about and, um, you know, when I reached out to her to do it, she, of course, she agreed. Um, we've, we've gotten to know each other, and, and I've learned about the organization over the last few months, and we're in contact often. And, she, you know, she agreed right away, and we set up a time to do it. It was a Monday night, and right before the interview, I found out that Hannah was going in for a cardiac catheterization the next morning. And I was like, you, you know, you could have said no, you didn't have to do this the night before you're going in for a cardiac catheterization, because of course there's, you know, with any sort of procedure, there's nerves that come with it. But um, she was uh, very generous to take the time the night before her procedure um, to do it. And again, provided some great insight, some great value for our listeners. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome on Hannah Keim from Heart Shards. All right, it's my pleasure to bring on a very special guest and a fellow hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient, Hannah Kine from Heart Charged. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us, especially since you're having a cardiac catheterization tomorrow morning. I appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. And we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the past uh, few months, and I've um, been really inspired by all the work that your sister and you are doing, and we're definitely going to talk about that later. But um, before we get into that, let's just jump right into 
your personal story and can you take our listeners through your diagnosis and how you found out that you had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, I'm someone big on dates, so I'm going to throw some dates out here because for me, I mean, it was a life-changing experience. So I like to keep anniversaries and stuff. Um, and so the year was 2013 um, and my aunt actually finds out that she has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And so of course it being a genetic condition um, and the number one killer of student athletes, she tells my mom who has a lot of athletic um, and active kids that, um, hey, I mean, there's nine of us. So the statistics you know, are in our favor that at least one of us is gonna have this genetic heart condition. And so she tells my mom that she needs to get us checked um, and so my mom decides to have out of all her kids like me get checked. And I had had some like fainting episodes and stuff that maybe like, you know what, let's just see. Um, and so of course, to get with a good pediatric cardiologist, it was like six months um, until it was going to happen. And so I was still like playing sports. I was still doing things. Um, and I was actually entering high school. And it was kind of like the perfect time because I decided to go to a high school that I wasn't playing sports or I wasn't dancing at. I decided to kind of go to like a semi-normal high school um, where I would just, you know, I was just going for academics. I wasn't going for anything that would, you know, be strenuous. Um, and so September 13th was my appointment. Um, and even me and my sister will both tell you, like, we both had the same experience of like leading up to it. Um, like praying and being like, hey, I don't want to have it. Because obviously when you look it up, it looks, it doesn't look fine. It doesn't look like, oh, wow, you know, that looks great. That looks like, oh, it's going to involve a lot of changing and it, and it looks scary. Um, and so I just remember kind of knowing that, yeah, I was going to have it. Um, like I kind of already knew that. Obviously I didn't know to what extreme that meant or what that really, that weight behind it. Um, and then I go, go into the doctor's office obviously it was a long day um, not only of like waiting but then going through like okay the EKG and then the echocardiogram also you kind of knew when the echo was taking a little bit longer you're like mm -hmm. hey, this has been a while that I've been you know <laughs> on this ultrasound that they're going um, and then the doctor calls me in and tells me yes you have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um, and you have it to a severe case where now you're gonna have to stop doing what you were doing before like playing sports and all that stuff and this is kind of what what's entailed and so september 13th is a special day for me it's a day that i always you know buy an ice cream cake and i celebrate <laughs> and i i look how how far i've come so it's been a bit over like seven years that yeah. i've had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy yeah and, and how old were you um when you first so got i was yeah, so I was um, 14, about to turn 15. Okay. When I got diagnosed. Yeah. Okay. So I am sure that you can relate to this. So when, when I got diagnosed, and they told me I could like remember that day, and I could like play it back in my head. So can you kind of just tell me what it was like, like what your initial reaction was, um, when you got that news? Yeah. Um, tears, just literally, yeah. like, not not even like holding it back it was just like Bleh! um which my doctor would tell you i'm a crier like mm -hmm. in there just because it's like i don't know like uh the situation this is how my body is reacting is just you know just crying um mm -hmm. but yeah and they kind of it just it was a lot of reflecting too because i had just come in this place especially my doctor even was like 
blunt with me after she told me you know obviously like when you're sitting and then you're telling her like oh yeah um this is kind of what I've been doing and like you know a little bit about yourself she was like oh did I have my poker face on because I'm surprised that you're still alive today because she was so surprised that I was so active and that was just six months prior to me being diagnosed it wasn't like my heart it was like two years ago and your heart like got worse it was like wow, you're playing that extreme sports with that like thickness of your heart, like that's kind of dangerous. Um, and so kind of just, you know, crying not only because like my whole life is changing and all the plans that I had and, you know, what am I gonna, what does my life look like? You know, not mm -hmm. only tomorrow, but in like a year after I graduate high school, but also kind of knowing like, I'm grateful that I'm here. Like mm -hmm. that also was big for me to going like, wow, like I've got a purpose here because mm -hmm. I could have easily been gone, but now I'm here today. And so that was kind of a mix of the emotions that were going on in my head at that moment when they told me. Of course, it's an amazing outlook to have. And it's honestly, I mean, I think it's really healthy that you cried. I think that's like a healthy thing to do. And I think people kind of look at crying as like, I don't know, like a sign of weakness or something when it's totally not, I mean, um, I think it's really healthy to be able to express that emotion and, and express how you feel because it's a, it's a life changing uh, moment, you know, and, and which, you know, I'm sure your life has changed a lot over the course of seven years, but, you know, you mentioned playing sports and dance and, you know, at the time of your diagnosis, did your doctor like, was, was all that over or were there specific restrictions or, or kind of what were like, you know, what your life looked like? that first few months after being diagnosed? Oh yeah, so my doctor immediately told me, like she was like, mm -hmm. everything that you've been doing, and luckily mm -hmm. I was at a point where I was not playing any of those sports. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of easier because that was more heartbreaking if I was a part of a basketball team and then, or like a part of a dance company, I had to like tell, you know, my friends and my teammates, hey, so I can't play anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And like for kids, it's hard to understand like, hey, but you were just playing like, three months ago and now you can't play like what what's mm -hmm. changed um but my doctor immediately told me all of that you have to stop playing anything that's adrenaline based or strenuous based anything that gets any normal person's heart rate up don't do it and like mm -hmm. they kind of gave me a list of things I could play and that it was literally like golf was the <laughs> only sport that they were like that one you can get away with like <laughs> I was like and I was like not they're like nothing that's it because you're just stationary mm -hmm. you know and you're walking and then they're like oh you can play like shuffleboard you know maybe some bowling but like not too heavy the balls and you're just like yeah okay great that's yeah. you know I, I even picked up golf though I like yeah. picked it up for a little bit and then I was like this is too much of a time investment and I'm not yeah. gonna be that good like uh -huh. I I'm too late now to pick it up. I was like, no, but, yeah. but I tried it, you know, to be like, hmm, but yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like all the sports that you have really no interest in playing when you're 14 years old. <laughs> you know, it's like, right, that's the only right. stuff you're allowed to do. And then like, so what did it have, what was like the, um, like the treatment prognosis? Um, you know, was it medication? Um, was there certain things they were doing that, you know, to tr treat the disease? Yeah, so it was immediately medication, like literally that day, I remember her being like, okay, so you're going to go to the pharmacy, and you're going to pick up this medication. And so they put me on Natalol, a beta blocker oh. immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and they kind of put she kind of like, like, guess what, what amount would be right. But she said, we're going to change it. Obviously, we're going to see how you do. 
Um, and then obviously like a heart monitor, they wanted for sure to put me on. And that was a whole, like the first time I put on a heart monitor was so funny because I also was taking blood to do the genetic testing to figure out like if I had one of the basic genes that were mutated to cause HCM. Mm -hmm. And I literally, luckily I decided to get my blood taken because then I passed out taking my blood. So then my heart monitor, well, my heart monitor was on and then I got my blood taken. And so it could test like, okay, I'm not fainting. So that was good. Like it wasn't related to my heart, which is good because you don't want to have those episodes where you're fainting because your heart's not good. But it was it was crazy. I was like, I'm grateful I passed out to show the doctors. But that mm-hmm. whole just that whole like three first hours of doing the heart monitor and yeah. and then obviously going to school and then like looking like Iron Man because it's like mm-hmm. bulging out of your chest. And then you're like, OK, and like marking in your little book, like if everything <laughs> was good. But yeah, they, they kind of just wanted to see how far I could, but I didn't even take, like a lot of people do like stress tests of like on the treadmill and stuff like that. I didn't take that until like seven years later with my doctor now, because my doctor was already like, you already have it too severe that we're not even going to test you. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we don't need to see your heart rate go up. We already know mm-hmm. that it will. And so we're just gonna like keep you out so like my physical activity was very very much limited immediately Mm -hmm. after my diagnosis Mm -hmm. and and I know you have an ICD now but how soon after being diagnosed did they place the ICD yeah so it was actually um like a year and a half later after I got diagnosed so I came in a year later um, for my checkup and they had done an echocardiogram and they had saw that my like so my muscle was about 22 21 millimeters mm-hmm. um, and then when I got the next year it was like 28 and so mm-hmm. they were like okay so your muscles like gotten thicker it's growing which I mean kind of makes sense with like puberty and all that stuff mm-hmm. that your body is growing like why wouldn't your heart grow as well obviously not good in our case but um and so they saw it and then they had me going for an MRI because they're like, hey, so you're right now at the line that you could be eligible, you know, how fun mm-hmm. for an ICG. And so they just wanted to get more of an accurate reading. And so we went in for an MRI and I never thought I was claustrophobic until I went into an MRI Agreed. before. Mm-hmm. That I was like, I'm not claustrophobic. And then they saw my uh-huh. face and they were like, reach your hand up because it's not as close as you think. Because <laughs> I don't know what my face was, but I was like, get me out of yeah. here. I can't, I can't. Um, and so it was even crazy though, cause I had kind of waited cause I knew, okay, I'm waiting on the news of if I'm going to get a defibrillator. Cause they're like, we're not getting your pacemaker. Cause we're going to get you something better that will like, you know, my doctor called it like the Rolls Royce, like might as well get you the <laughs> fanciest thing, you know, to keep you alive. And, um, I had two doctors at the time and they didn't like tell each other who was telling who. So I had like waited a few months and then they realized that when they met like at a Christmas party, they're like talking obviously like, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. And they like brought me up and then they didn't realize that like, wait, you didn't tell her. And so that was like a whole thing. So it was like kind of like in a weird waiting moment where I was like, am I getting one? Am I not getting one? And then they're like, okay, so you are. And if you can do it like, you know, next month, can you get like, you know, the ICG implanted. And so April 10th of 2015, I was about 17 years old and that's mm-hmm. when they implant the ICD. Yeah, and, and so when I had my ICD implanted, it was like, I was, I wasn't, I was still very scared. Um, and, and if you talk to a doctor, you know, I'm sure your doctor would agree with this, that 
your doctor actually probably felt much better after they put the ICD in because they know that you're safer now. But how did you feel about it? Were you, um, did it, did it help your fears or was there like some anxiety involved with it? Or I guess, what were your thoughts about the ICD at first when you first got it? Um, so when I first, I mean, knowing like the surgery, I mean, I think cause I watched too much Grey's Anatomy at that moment <laughs> in my life that I was like, Oh my gosh, what are the, you know, like, what's the risk of me going and getting, you know, an ICD yeah. and what happens if it fails or whatever. But honestly, most of my feelings that I was happy because in that first year and a half of being diagnosed and being told like, hey, don't do anything that will get your heart rate up. That's what scared me is because Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in my brain, okay, if something happens at school, there's one teacher who who's certified in an AED. I'm like, oh my gosh, then everyone's going to see my boobs and like they have Mm -hmm. to use it or like then they have to run up to the third floor and tell him and like. And like, even I remember I went to like Disney on a trip and I love roller coasters. Mm. Um, And I was just like, I'm going to ride like this, like Mount Everest once I'm going to, I was like taking things because I didn't want to push it because Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, as like a 15 year old in my brain, I don't want this to be the last time I ride a roller Mm -hmm. coaster. I don't want this because I don't want my heart rate to skyrocket. So knowing that I had that device that like, Hey, if anything were to happen, it was going to take care of itself. And that Mm -hmm. I didn't have to rely on somebody else to know that they were, you know, certified or know that they were okay. But like, if anything were to happen to me, if I needed to go like sprint down the hall for something, I didn't have to be scared that I would, you know, pass out or die that I was like okay and so that was more of my thoughts of it like okay I'm I'm glad now that I have the safety net that I can you know kind of live a more normal life and not be like walking on eggshells about everything I do yeah that's amazing I mean I I feel really bad that you know you, you know a 15 year old girl in high school could possibly have the thought of you know going on a roller coaster and having a fear that it could be the last roller coaster because you have this fear that, you know, you could die or on the roller coaster. Um, and that's not how 15 year olds are supposed to feel about life. So, um, it's amazing that, and that's the good thing about ICDs and, you know, the, the fact that you got one and it is a safety net and the purpose of it is of course to keep you safe. But I think the other side of it is like, it should give you that peace of mind that you can live your life a little more normally. And that if something is going to happen, um, it's there to, to save you. And, you know, I know you've had some experiences with it. And, and I think the question that comes up a lot for people, you know, when they're talking to their doctor about it is like, if it shocks me, how does it feel or what happens? And, you know, I know I had that question for my doctor and my doctor gave me the answer, but the doctor never actually went through it. And you have. So I'm curious to hear about your experiences being shocked by your ICD and and kind of what it was like. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I'll just go kind of in order. So I've been Mm -hmm. shocked four times, but Mm -hmm. it's been two events because it just happens all the time in twos for me. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just, that's how it is. (laughs) Um, No explanation on that. Um, And so the first time um, I got was like six months after I had gotten it. So that was, and that literally saved my life. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was sleeping. I had actually no idea it happened until two weeks mm-hmm. later, I went in for my like yearly checkup and they're obviously running the diagnosis of the device. And then my doctor's like, oh yeah, you got shocked. And you're just like, oh, paste, you know, cause that's mm-hmm. the one that they tell you, you can't feel. So you're like, mm-hmm. well, I, you know, I would remember if I got, cause they say it like, it's like a horse kicking in the chest. You're like, I would mm-hmm. remember that, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. not like, I'm like hmm, no, I didn't feel that. 
Um, and so then she told me, no, you were shocked twice. And then I remember looking at my heartbeat and just literally seeing it just going up and down so fast. And she was like, yeah, so your heartbeat reached 256 beats per minute. Mm. I'm like, you can't even count that fast. So <laughs> I don't even know what my heart was doing at that time. And, and that led me to a lot of questions too, because I was like, like, how come I didn't feel it? Like I was sleeping and then she was like, oh, you were, you were unconscious because your heart, you know, it's not working anymore. And so mm -hmm. um, that case, it had to shock me not once, but twice. And that was, that was, yeah, I'll never forget that doctor's appointment. That was mm -hmm. one that kind of threw me because I was obviously throughout this time, I've been doing advocacy work and sharing my story and telling kids to get their heart screened and do what they can. And I would always say like, I could have died if I didn't get a heart screening. And mm -hmm. now I know the exact date and time that mm -hmm. I would have died. And so just like that simple letter change, like impacted me so much because I'm thinking like, wow, like I'm so grateful to be alive. And if I didn't have this device, I would have been gone. And, and it made me kind of nervous because I didn't even want to go to sleep because like, I would always have like tachycardia like mm -hmm. when I was sleeping which is like more common than people think but like you know no one like tells you that until mm -hmm. like your doctor's reading your scans and you're just like what am I doing while I'm sleeping I thought that's like when my body's relaxing and they're telling me like don't play sports but then I'm like I'm doing activity stuff and my heart's like not beating as irregular but I'm just sleeping and my heart's like yeah, 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 you know doing yeah. crazy things um and then it kind of also made me a little bit nervous too, because I didn't know how it felt, you know? And then people always ask me, like, how did you feel? And you're just, I, I have any idea. And then people are like, wait, what? Like, how do you not know? And I was scared if it happens again, will I be prepared? No. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, I was kind of grateful that then like a year and a half later in 2017, that I got shocked because I knew how it felt. And so like mm. finally fate, it's like I was, when I was, I, when I was younger, I would play softball. And when I was first starting, I was scared of the ball. And then it's like, you gotta get hit by the ball to know, okay, mm. it's not as scared as you think. And so I was like, okay, I think that's how I needed to feel with getting shocked. It's like, I gotta get shocked and know, okay, it's not as bad as you think. You've been through it, you've got through it it hurts as hell. It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. not something that's like, hmm, you know, just a little tap. It's a, you know, a knockout punch. It's a, you know, a home run hit on your chest. Mm -hmm. It doesn't last forever and that mm -hmm. you can get through it. And so when it happened the second time, I was also grateful too. I was performing. I was doing a lip sync battle with my best friend at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was glad I was kind of preoccupied because mm -hmm. then I wasn't so in it. And I think as well in that moment, talking with people like, it's happening to you and you kind of just don't know how to react but because I was like trying to do something else my brain wasn't completely focused on oh my gosh I'm being shocked right now like what do mm -hmm. I do also I was in front of a bunch of people so then that too was like in a, mm -hmm. in a way like embarrassing or like what happens or things I am surprised that I did stay on my feet because I talked to um one of our wonderful followers and who's become a good friend of mine, Charlie. Um, and he's like, I had to take a knee. And like a lot of people say that they have to like fall down. I don't know if it's like my dance training and all the balance that I mm -hmm. had that I was able to keep my feet like when it happened, but that one, and also to catch it on video. Cause again, mm -hmm. as someone who's advocating and trying to show people, I would like look up on YouTube and I would find like the dumb people who are like shocking themselves alive with the defibrillator to like kind of show people like, hey, this is what it's like, but don't be 
afraid of it, it helps. And sort of finally have that teaching tool. And then also to recently see how much it's helped people sharing it through Heart Charged um, that people can know now to look out. Like, hey, if, that's, if that happens, mm -hmm. if I see that, that's what it's like to be shocked. If someone is getting shocked, that's what it looks like. And so that I was kind of grateful. I was like, I got it on video. I happened, even though I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to do it again, but I was grateful yeah. that I had that teaching tool and that I did, you know, catch it on video. And I wasn't afraid anymore of what happens if I do get shocked. Like, okay, I know what it feels like now. So yeah. I'm prepared for the next time. So you were mid lip sync battle, you got shocked and you just, you continued, you finished the, the performance, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What, what song yeah. were you singing or lip singing? So I, we were singing, um, Celine Dion's all by myself. So, you know, a classic. Okay. Um, okay. so that song obviously is now it's, it's, it means different to me than it did, um, <laughs> before I got shocked, but yeah, I had actually thought yeah. my friend was just hitting me. Yeah. really hard because like obviously <laughs> in my mind that's not where my first place was going oh yeah, yeah my device you know shocking yeah. me and then I remember watching the video after my friend was like see I didn't hit you and then I was just like oh shoot I yeah. just got shocked from my defibrillator yeah. and I was like okay now I need to go call my doctor yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I so I've seen the video because you guys have posted it and I will say that mm -hmm. the composure that you keep I mean, in the midst, I've never been shocked. So the composure that you're able to keep in the middle of this performance is incredible. Um, and how'd you all do in the, the performance? What did you? I Unfortunately, we got second place. So, okay. and actually nobody knew, like I didn't go tell, I like told my friend, obviously, yeah. but obviously the scoring came, you know, before yeah. like I figured everything out and was yeah. like, hey, like the, the points were already in. Yeah. But yeah, I was so I was like, bro, I literally like, yeah. you know, went through sudden cardiac arrest, got shocked, still went on, and then yeah. you know, and only ended up getting right. Something. You deserve but some extra points for that. But second, okay. second place isn't bad considering you you yeah. got shocked by your RCD mid performance. So, um, so one of the big things that like I want to do with this podcast is talk about like physical and mental obstacles that people overcome after diagnosis. So are there any specific, I guess we'll start with physical, um, like physical obstacles that you've had to get past in the last seven years that stick out to you? Mm. Also, I, I love that you're doing that because I feel like that's something that people don't realize. I feel like mm -hmm. when you get diagnosed, obviously your brain doesn't go like, how does that mentally impact you and also mm -hmm. mentally applies it physically and how everything is so aligned um physical I guess it was um I guess just the being how active I can and like having friends who like want to go work out and stuff like that and um I even took like an online PE class in high school and I remember them being I was like hey like I don't know why I'm taking this class because I can't do these things um mm -hmm. and like even trying I think myself I think sometimes it's hard I'm like I'm 22 years old I should be you know like I should be able to do like push-ups and all this stuff so I think realizing kind of like you know how like my activity isn't as much and don't compare myself you know to other mm -hmm. people and try to like you know show off like hey like that's okay like this is you know what I do um I think also after getting even with like the whole ICG is also weird too. Like you like the weird requirements you have to have, like you can't have your phone on this side and little <laughs> things like that, that you have to like get used to that the mannerisms mm -hmm. just become like, okay, like 
this is a thing. Um, but recently, I don't know, because I've just felt, which I think is a big thing that people need to realize is like, this is a journey. You know, mm -hmm. when you get diagnosis, isn't just that's how your heart is set. It's like, oh, you forget that your heart can either get better or it can get worse or it can get both. And so I think recently I've just come to terms like, okay, my heart is, is kind of getting worse. Um, and that means I can't do as like things like, I don't know, like taking stairs, which was kind of mm -hmm. something like if I took like a few flights, I was like, ooh, okay, let me catch my breath. But now it's like, okay, if I do like one, like just like stepping up, I'm like catching my mm -hmm. breath. But I'm like, I'm 22. I shouldn't be like catching my mm -hmm. breath, you know, like taking one flight of stairs. So I think, you know, like taking it slow and not feeling that social pressure of like, oh, you know what? I'm, yeah, I'm like fitting in a normal, like, hey, it's okay to say. I can't do that. Like mm -hmm. taking the elevator, you know, like that was a big thing at like my workplace. Everyone would be like, I'm doing a healthy choice. I'm taking the stairs. And I was like, bro, if I take the stairs, I'm gonna have yeah. to catch my breath for like a minute <laughs> or two, you know, like I'm going to take the elevator. Don't judge yeah. me, you know, yeah. like, that. so that has been more like the physical and realizing sometimes, mm -hmm. Hey, that changes as well. Like throughout your diagnosis that maybe what you did in the beginning, you can't do right now because you know, your heart is just not good enough. Yeah. That's awesome. That's interesting. And it's actually a great point that you made that I just want to talk about real quick. So, and I don't think I think about this as much either, but I think there are little things that I can like uh, a lot of things that I think back to, there are like little things that you don't think about with the ICD and like, the, like for me, it's like, like you can't sleep on your left side. Like if you, if you sleep on that side, like you can't anymore because like I have mine on my left side. And then same thing, like when I had my transvenous one on my chest, you can't really sleep on your chest because it's a little uncomfortable because you put pressure on it. So there's like, there is a bunch of little things like where you're putting your phone. Um, you know, if you're going, if you're like at the mall or something, you know, my doctor suggested, hey, don't like stand right at the entrance where mm -hmm. the little metal detectors are. You can walk through, but you shouldn't just be hanging out there or don't stand in front of the microwave or, or there's like a whole bunch of little things that like, it's like a little adjustments in your life that you never thought about. Now all of a sudden, like you have to, because you don't want something to interfere with your device or interfere with, you know, the, the disease. So that's, that's a, that's a really interesting piece of it. It's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of little things that I think don't get talked about that are, are adjustments. Yeah. But um, on the other side of that, like, are there any like, like mental obstacles that, um, you know, you've struggled with and have, have overcome in the last seven years since your diagnosis? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's been a few. I mean, like, again, like you said, like a cry, like there's always like mm -hmm. after every doctor's appointment, there's always like a like middle of the night cry of like realizing like, this is my life. And mm -hmm. like, what? Taking it one day at a time and knowing mm -hmm. again, like this, as I said, like, this is a this is a journey. This is something mm -hmm. that's gonna, you know, it's different steps at where you are and your diagnosis and what happens and what's, you know, what does your future look like? Um, one thing that I recently kind of like mentally, um, just because I'm a person who's more like, I'll compromise first, you know, I want to help other people and I'll, and like, mm -hmm. I'll, you know, like I'm serving other people and I'm forgetting about myself in, mm -hmm. in doing so. Um, and I remember someone told me, it was like, you can't be like, you can't be so brave, you know, Hannah, like you, you have to, you know, think about yourself. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to like, think about your health. And sometimes like, for me, it's like, okay, I want to like, help people then you realize like hey maybe I'm not right now at the right state or also like letting people help you like hey like right now you're not at that state and it's okay you can take it slow and like let's 
let's regroup and think about your health and stuff so sometimes I think it's it's hard for that because you want to be like hey like I want to be in not like invincible but you want to be like strong and be able to help people and you don't want to seem because it's one thing as well I struggled with after high school because in high school when I got diagnosed I was doing a lot of advocating like like that's one thing people knew about me like I have a heart condition so you kind of become as a girl like with a heart condition and Mm -hmm. all this stuff or whatever Um, luckily people knew me as other things too but when I went off to college um, I didn't want I didn't want that to be the first thing people knew about me because I wanted people to see me as like you know that other part of me because I know once you tell somebody that you kind of Mm -hmm. get like that pity or you get kind of like oh okay so like and I wanted someone to like know me as, you know, me, even though my heart is a big part of who I am, but like know me as this person and then find out, oh, you're living with, you know, this mm-hmm. chronic condition, you know, mm-hmm. and I wanted them that to be like, oh, wow, later than them being that was the first thing. And like, because it's true, like you naturally want a baby or, you know, want to make sure they're good and that. But that for me is just like an identifying thing I wanted it to be. Like I was never going to like not talk about my heart condition. I was like, oh yeah, you asked me questions about this. You know, why do this or why I have this device or why I'm not playing this sport? I'll tell you, I'm not going to be mm-hmm. like, oh no, timid, but I'm not going to just go out right away and go, hi, nice to meet you. I have, a, I have a heart condition. You know, I wanted that to be something you, you got to know about me instead of just like, you know, blabbing it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a big thing as well. Like mentally of like knowing like, you know, is this just the only thing about me is that way, you know, also finding who I am as a person, but balancing it as well with this diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really, um, I mean, it's so true. I I think, and especially we're going to talk about, uh, shortly here, like the work that you're doing. And I think sometimes, um, as a patient, you get so caught up in like, I want to help all these people, right. You're doing all this great work. And sometimes you kind of forget about yourself, which is, you know, you have to always take care of yourself and make sure mentally that, you know, you're okay uh, sometimes. And I, I, I think um, we don't always realize it's like, okay to do that. You know, I think we kind of are like, oh, let's just keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward, keep doing this, keep doing this. But it's like, once in a while, we got to step back and say, okay, like, let's check on my own mental health here and see how I'm doing and handling everything. So um, I got a tough one for you here. So you say, you know, you, you met someone tomorrow that just got diagnosed mm-hmm. with heart disease. Um, what's what, if you could give them one piece of advice to take with them for the rest of their life, what would it be? That's a hard one. I know like <laughs> one piece of advice to like tell them. Um, I guess I think it's coming from, again, like that young point of view, of like, okay, if this person was young, who's just been diagnosed and even people who are older, I think as well, finding through mm-hmm. making heart charge. Um, and that's like our whole goal is that mm-hmm. you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, th- like you're not just like that one out of 500. You're like mm-hmm. many, many yeah. people. Um, and I think that's, I think again as well, like if I look back on, you know, my journey through my diagnosis, is that was one thing that I always you know that 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 sometimes is hard because you feel like Mm -hmm. nobody understands you and like I feel fortunate you know that I have my sister but even we both have different it presents differently in us and Mm -hmm. so like our journeys are not the same even though we have the same diagnosis on paper um uh, but even 
like knowing I think too like even having wonderful supportive family and friends um, and having people that know you is is again like when you're there sleeping in your bed at night it's you and your thoughts and you you're like wow like is there anybody who who understands it and gets it and so knowing that they aren't alone that like Mm -hmm. there are people who who get almost as close as to what you're what you're going through um and that that don't be ashamed because I think as well too you can feel so isolated and that's why a lot of young people too don't like speaking out that they have this heart condition because people I mean people are people people judge you or they put labels on you or they think Mm -hmm. things and you don't and you don't want that to happen so I think knowing that like maybe you might be that only person in your community in your town in your city but that there's a whole group of people behind you and being Mm -hmm. like hey you're cool like don't be ashamed for having this and knowing that hey it's okay to cry or that it's okay you know about these different things but that we're all on this journey together and even though Mm. we're all at different steps like we're here and welcoming and I think that's been the nicest thing especially coming on Instagram and really seeing like the heart condition community the heart disease community and seeing like that everyone is so supportive though like there's so many different organizations out there and that we may have like you know, similar messages is that everyone is so supportive of each other. And it's just there to like, hey, we're here to help in the healing process and, mm-hmm. you know, what you're going through and like, don't like, this isn't, you know, something to be like competitive or looked at, or it's just like, hey, we're all in this together and we need, yeah. you know, as much as we can in this group. So definitely. That's awesome. So I know you started talking about it a little bit, but can you tell us just like, you know, just tell us about heart charts, kind of like, um, the story behind it, which I guess we kind of just heard, but you know, when you started it, what the goal of it is, what you're trying to do with it, kind of everything. So people know about the amazing work that you're doing. Yeah, of course. Um, so hard charge, actually, we just had our one year, um, launching of it. And so my sister, Bethany, she launched it in January. Um, and it it was her like anniversary to your anniversary of her being bionic. Um, and we had talked, I mean, ever since I was diagnosed, I did a lot of advocacy work, as I said, of just talking and telling people my story. Um, I would share stuff on my, on my personal Instagram again, cause this is who I am. So I would share mm-hmm. things of, like whether I was eating an ice cream cake for my anniversary <laughs> of my diagnosis or, or different things or when I became like bionic and different stuff. Um, but we had kind of discussed after she got her defibrillator, um, she was very like, you know, body positivity and looking at that, she was, I mean, we're, we're different and she's more of that like you can tell in the pictures like mm-hmm. you know showing off her body and in that and she's a dancer and all that stuff and so we had talked about like like she had told me the idea of like hey I want to do something about like embracing your scars and your body and I was like I love that idea like we should definitely do it because one thing that I felt was just like telling people in my community like like I, I didn't find anybody and that's good. You know, I don't want to, you know, if you, if nobody here in my community doesn't have a heart condition, that's good. You know, like right. I want everyone to like live the best lives that they can, but like, if they do, I want them to know, Hey, they have somebody. And I just felt like, I just felt again, alone. Nobody also, everyone was just kind of like, that's so cool that you're doing that, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to go get checked. I'm not going to go do anything. I just, your story is great though. It's inspiring, mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, and so when I thought of the idea, like, wow, like, imagine connecting people worldwide like there's more people out there obviously we know statistically um and so we had like discussed it and we kept like kind of working through it and then I was actually 
away on a church mission and she was like okay I'm doing it she had like come home from college she had like transferred colleges and she was like this is the time I'm gonna launch heart charge and I remember she like told me the name and I was like oh that's perfect name because also like of yeah. course it coming through like what would what would get people's attention and really like speak to us um and so then she launched it in January and then I came like two months later and then I joined her um and then that's been such the cool part and so heart charged I mean, at the beginning, again, it was more just like being able to share because we'd heard stories from people who were like, wow, because I saw a post that you did that you looked happy and you looked grateful with this diagnosis. Because again, like your life doesn't end with this diagnosis. You can live a normal, fun life um, as much as to normal as you can. Again, what is normal anyways? Um, and so we we decided to just like share our stories. And then throughout the months, it kind of evolved to a thing that we realized like, what what is the service that we're providing and then people are telling us hey make a nonprofit." and so thinking that like what what are we giving people that they can't find somewhere else you know mm -hmm. I mean besides like making funny you know videos and content and all that stuff um that we realized patient to patient that's really what we're what we're offering um that we want people to know that we have and so that's been the cool thing of having both of us again is that we we have that range of like what we've been through and what, you know, Bethany can talk to people, you know, about like, hey, body positivity or being able to still be active and have a heart condition. Then, okay, people who can't be as active or who want a different route, you know, they can connect with me. And so it's always funny when we get messages, we'll be like, okay, you answer this one and I'll answer that one because we can relate better to that person's story or whatever. And mm -hmm. so we realize like, hey, this is what heart charge is about it's that patient to patient support is knowing that people can have that sense of community and that sense of belonging um and so that's really what heart charge is to us and then as well as always having the back of our mind because we go back to when we first diagnosed with that simple heart screening of how they detected that we had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and something that i had pushed and we had pushed for a while after getting diagnosis that kids should get mandatory heart screenings and so that's mm -hmm. also like a big mission of ours that we always have whether it's just advocating or helping with legislation or again partnering with organizations to do our part to get people especially the youth to have screenings because nobody should mm -hmm. die of a preventable cause um, especially somebody young especially when mm -hmm. they have so much left of their life to live and so that's kind of another part of our mission that we want to to bring forward with hard charge, but it's really just that place to know that, hey, like all are welcome here and we're gonna, you know, be honest and we're gonna talk about it, but we're gonna come from it with with gratitude and, mm -hmm. you know, and just, awesome. and just have fun, you know, yeah. and do what we can to like help. Like if you see our posts that like makes you laugh or smile mm -hmm. or maybe cry, sometimes it gets serious, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's really awesome. I mean, I, I've, why i i don't even know when we first connected time is just like all over the place now but oh yeah yeah uh, but i i can say like since we have i've i've followed the posts i've seen what you guys have done i've seen it grow and i think you're doing two things that are really really important i think the community aspect of bringing people together is so important because um we talk about like trying to live a normal life and i think that's really hard to do without connecting with other patients and learning how to do that so the fact that you do that, I think is incredible. It's something that, you know, for the last 14 years of my life, I've been saying like, there is a need for this. Like people like doctors are incredible and doctors keep us really safe and they do a lot of amazing things, but doctors have not 
always, I'm sure maybe some have, but most of the doctors have not lived through what we are living through. And it's so important to connect with other patients. So you guys being able to create that community, I think is so valuable to people's lives. And then for the heart screenings, um, you know, I know about, you know, you guys are doing amazing work in Florida and there's some legislation out there and it would just save so many people's lives. I mean, we talk about cardiac arrest and, and how important AEDs and CPR are, but you know, a lot of things have to go very, very well for someone to survive a cardiac arrest. Um, there has to be someone that witnesses it. There has to be someone that does CPR right away or someone has to be someone that an AED there that's maintained, ready to be used. And that someone uses, if you can catch someone before they're in a life or death situation, that's where your chances of saving more lives come. So, um, before I let you go, can you just tell people any way they can connect with you on heart charts via social media, website, email, whatever you want to share? Just, I just want to make sure people can learn more about heart charts and the work that you're doing. Of course. So, um, our, that's where our community is eyes on Instagram, I guess, cause we're also like in our twenties. So that's where we're really eyes <laughs> on Instagram. And so it's at heart charged. Mm -hmm. Um, that's our page. Um, you'll see the jolt at heart charged. That's us. Um, and then obviously our website is getheartcharged.org. Um, because right now on social media, we have a challenge happening um, that the listeners who are listening hopefully can um, get on mm -hmm. it um, and join us um, is the Get Heart Charged Challenge. And that is where we're trying to knock out sudden cardiac arrest. And we have been so grateful for you, Mike, to be able to not only like help mentor us in our nonprofit, um, but be able to share how important it is to be CPR certified and AED trained and to mm -hmm. be able to know as well. Like, obviously we would love to get everyone before sudden cardiac arrest hits them, but right mm -hmm. now that's not the case. And so we're trying to do our part to bring awareness to show people that it's not that scary and that they could help save a life. They could be like our little, you know, sidekick, our little defibrillator and help mm -hmm. us um, stay alive. And so we, we message, we answer daily to people. So that's really how you can connect us. We, you can email us through our website, um, but Instagram is where we're at. Um, and so if you have any questions or if you know anybody, please let them know, please have them follow Heart Charged and we're always open. So slide into our DMs and message mm -hmm. us. We, we don't sleep too. So we'll answer <laughs> it. If you have a question at three o'clock in the morning, like let us know, so. Awesome. And we'll, we'll tag it in like the description of the uh, podcast too. So anybody that's listening, if okay. you want to just go down to the description, you can just click on it and it'll take you right to the website or right to the Instagram page as well. So cool. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for taking the time to do this, especially with the day that you're having tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I just want to say like, you're an extremely inspiring person. Um, you know, you've gone through something that, you know, high school, you know, student is not supposed to go through. High school is kind of hard enough for a normal person, but to go through it, um, you know, being diagnosed and coming, you know, going through those obstacles, then being the person that has heart disease that people might look at as the person with heart disease. And, and to kind of just see the outlook that you have now is, is, is really amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I'm very excited to see you know, heart charge grow and the impact that you all continue to have. So I'm sure we'll be talking soon. But again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me really. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to A Big Heart, a podcast about living with heart disease. If you like this episode, it would mean so much to me if you give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Like anything in life, the goal is to improve. Please provide any feedback you have, any topics you want to hear, or any guests that can provide value to our listeners. You can message us on Instagram at a big heart podcast or send us an email at mike at in a heartbeat.org. To learn more about in a heartbeat and the programs we provide, please visit www.inaheartbeat.org. That is www.inaheartbeat.org.